This is the Agile Thoughts Podcast, and I'm Lance Kind. Dr. David Bishop of Agile Works. The series started in episode 93. Go to the show archive to discover and listen to it. In this episode, we talk about business analysts switching to Agile. My name is David Bishop. I'm a technologist, an entrepreneur, and consultant, and teacher, and instructor, and inventor. I've been in the technology business for over 25 years. I'm an engineer by trade. I also have an MBA and a PhD in business, uh, focusing quite a bit on Agile. Uh, did my dissertation in Agile. So on Skype, I saw you mentioned a suggestion about doing transition from like that first bullet point, a transition from waterfall business analyst to agile product owner. I think it's an interesting topic because uh, uh, it's one of the problems that I've seen in a lot of our case studies, uh, including particularly in the IoT space, but I don't think it's uh, relegated to the IoT space. But anytime an organization is uh, transitioning from a waterfall to a more agile state, what we call agile transformation. A lot of times roles and jobs change. And one of those that often changes is the role of the business analyst, the person who's responsible for gathering requirements. Although I don't like the term gathering requirements, I think requirements are developed just like code. transition from a, a, a BA, so to speak, to a product owner. That's the uh, agile term for their new job, which is very much the same thing, managing requirements, essentially. But they don't often change the way they do that. You know, if someone is a business analyst, well, I don't want to make it sound like someone who's been in the business a long time is going to be t- difficult to make them change. That's not necessarily true. But if, if you've been developing requirements for many years in a waterfall type of mode, and you move into Agile, you've got to change the way you think. you got to change the way you process requirements and manage requirements. And a lot of times, they don't do that. And I found that if they don't, that results in technical debt, out-of-control technical debt, which is one of the largest, biggest reasons for failure in Agile transformations. I believe that a lot of the problems with Agile transformation starts at the beginning of the process, not at the end. You know, a lot of times when we do transformation, we focus on the development teams, the scrum teams, the developers and the testers, and make sure they have their stand-ups and their retrospectives and their rituals, and that's all important. But a lot of times the trouble starts much earlier in the uh, development life cycle, if you will, with the way requirements are managed, and that's often overlooked. If you think about what a business analyst does in a waterfall situation, what are they trying to do? One of the things that I often hear BAs say is, I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. So I've got to sit here and I've got to think of all the possible requirements that my client is going to need. I've got to sit here and brainstorm every possible corner case, every possible situation. And so that 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 backlog grows, 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 because they're just their their definition of doing a good job is more. But in an agile world, more is not always better. You've got to focus on what the customer really wants. You've got to collaborate with the customer and draw out what's really necessary for them to have to have like a minimum viable product or, you know, the first or second release of this product that's going to get them the business value they're looking for because you're doing it iteratively. You're not worried about, hey, I'm afraid that when I reach this 
defined scope uh, with this stage gate process. If I don't, if I miss something, then the customer is going to be unhappy and there's going to be a problem. That's what Agile is supposed to prevent, right? And so a lot of times, BAs just don't change the way they manage requirements, and they're afraid that they just create too many requirements. And when they do that, it becomes more difficult to prioritize. It becomes way more difficult to manage. Releases tend to get stuffed and stuffed with more and more requirements that oftentimes don't get used, features that don't get used. And a lot of times, requirements are developed that are not really as needed by the customer as some that get put off. It just results in, uh, in gridlock in the beginning of the development process. And I've seen that time and time again as a major point of failure. And so one of the things I try to do is spend a lot of time teaching BAs how to develop requirements in an agile way. No, I think you hit on a lot of nice things there because uh, the, the, the job role of a business analyst on Waterfall is to create a beautiful, big upfront uh, requirement document. And uh, what you're saying is there, there may be, let me put it down to details here, maybe they're, they're trying to turn that into a big list of JIRA backlog, which is a huge amount of waste and in, in, in inventory that has to be maintained of, of potentially wasteful things. So I, yeah, that's, that's really an interesting point that you bottom lined that well. It turns out when people go through an agile transformation and they have these old roles and responsibilities and you give them new names and their training isn't complete enough to help them understand the differences, then they really have trouble breaking free from those old behaviors that came with those responsibilities and you end up having a fake agile transformation. A transformation where people have new job titles but they're still doing the same behaviors that aren't agile. Craig Larman goes into fake organizational change in detail in episodes 58 and 59 that you can find in the show archive. Links to these episodes are in the show notes. What's some advice you would give to an analyst who's listening to this? Maybe they're an analyst who's on a waterfall project and they're getting ready to transition to Agile. Is there a couple of things you could suggest to them? Resist the temptation to brainstorm and try to use what, what I call top-down development techniques. It's something I learned in engineering school, I don't know if they teach us so much anymore, uh, but uh, top-down development, uh, which can apply to code, uh, software, but as well as your requirements. Uh, start with the base requirement that the customer is asking for and try to break that down into smaller components from there. Uh, don't try to sort of resist the temptation to try to brainstorm requirements and ideas that don't tie directly to the need. And also try to figure out a way to, uh, one of the things I do is try to help product owners develop a way to assess business value of their requirements. Let's figure out a way to assess the business value so that we know what the client's really getting and how we can, that'll help us prioritize all these uh, requirements we're developing. So let's talk about business value for a second, because that's actually pretty, uh, fairly, I I find it kind of, I find it hard to do, frankly. Um, What are some techniques that you do to help uh, such an analyst assign business value? 
Right. Yeah. So there's a number of different ways you can do it, and it's not easy. It's uh, uh, to some extent, it's similar to uh, I think of it sometimes. Uh, you know, when you're trying to develop estimates for user stories and people use things like planning poker and stuff like that sometimes. Uh, it could be a good method to uh, assess the business value of a requirement as well. Um, but uh, I will typically try to come up with some sort of scale, uh, usually from 1 to 10, and uh, uh, try to work with the client to get them to help me assign a, a value to each one of the requirements. You know, and it's not a priority. We have to you know, emphasize, hey, you're not prioritizing the requirements here. What you're telling me is you're telling me you're giving me kind of a, a, a value number that tells me how, how much value add this requirement gives to your business. And it's not a priority. It's not prioritization. That's something different. So, you know, it could be a. You could do like T-shirt sizing, but I think uh, like a one through ten number, I think it typically works best. And uh, you know, it takes a few iterations of practice, working with your your client and, and, and sort of getting them to understand the process. And then, as you go through a few iterations, just like everything else in Agile, you your estimations and your business value assignments become more and more accurate over time. So in this case, uh, you're mentioning uh, a client role, and uh, we're talking about the analyst slash new product owner role. Let me think about this. So I have, I'm a business analyst. I'm responsible for delivering a project, and uh, it's the first time I'm going to do Agile. And so I already have requirements. How would I get started if I already have requirements? At least that's what most of the waterfall clients I get are already have requirements, but then they, they're, they're switching over to Agile. Well, if they already have requirements, you know, I've actually been in that situation a lot recently. I uh, was given a requirements document that looked like it was written in 1989 or something. I mean, it was a very, very old school, uh, you know, uh, uh, the application shall do this, you know, that type of thing. Uh, we've probably all seen that before. Um, when you're given something like that, it can be helpful, but it might not be as helpful as the client thinks it is. You know, they may think, oh, I'm giving you a complete requirements document. Well, no, uh, it's not an Azure requirements document uh, oftentimes. And so you want to take those and try to put those into a user story format. And you want to focus on, like, uh, I use a rubric, which is quite common, uh, actor action result. As a blank, I need to blank so I can blank, right? That's a good user story format. Try to make sure those requirements uh, fit that sort of format. Uh, and oftentimes when you do that, you'll find that you have to break them down differently or rearrange them quite a bit because those requirements may not be organized according to actor, uh, which I think is important. The actors, uh, all the actions that these actors need to be able to perform and what they expect to happen once they conduct those actions. So I think you have to go through that process first when you get a requirements document to make sure that's there. So I have a lot of requirements now. I'm going to role play a little bit of the new product owner. And I'm going to say, hey, but now I have to go through all of my requirements documents and transform them all into this uh, new format. How is that making me more agile? Well, what you're doing is you're, you're organizing the work so that it's easier to prioritize and easier to assign the business value and easier to make sure the customer is getting something even in the first iteration that they can actually use. Oh. You, ideally, you want to be able to start putting out usable software right away. So if you have it organized from actor action result, 
if you have one requirement that's formatted that way, when that user story gets done, then you've got an actor that's going to be able to perform an action and actually have something happen. Uh, okay, we are. Okay, cool. So, so that means uh, each of my new uh, user stories need to have some kind of functionality deliverable. Meaning, I, I'm not going to have, I can't have like 10 user stories that depend on each other, so I have to get all 10 done, which might take me six months before I have something uh, demoable. I think that's what you're describing is the, the, the actor action result. The result is something that may require multiple pieces of some requirements, documents are high enough level and it's easy to do what you say. And some requirements documents are more like actually technical specs. What I see in the industry is what, what people call requirements. It's a, it varies. And uh, if they're high level requirements, I find it easy to get it into uh, maybe a backlog like you're talking about. And, but if I have a lot of functional specifications about how to do something, it's actually kind of difficult because there are a lot of dependencies between them and the specs were written down with the assumption that everything would be done up front for it all to work together. I mean, it can be, it can be daunting depending on the complexity and size of the project. I mean, you could have a lot of interdependencies. But uh, you should be able to break up everything. And it could take a lot of work, but you should be able to break up everything into that actor, actor action result format. And, and it's one of the reasons it's so helpful. Well, there's several reasons. We mentioned a couple, but uh, one of the reasons from a systems engineering perform point of view is that uh, it facilitates the design of the ERD. Uh, you know, once you have, you know, I know it basically, once you've got everything broken out that way, uh, it makes it easier to do your table design. And once you have your table design, uh, and that sort of makes everything else move a lot faster as well. What's a, uh, what's a table design? ERD is an entity relationship diagram. Okay. So uh, that's what you do. That's basically your database design. Oh, there we are. Uh, and, and that's a big component of any, any, any software or any type of technology project. So you're always going to change just like everything else. But you want to try and create as much of that up front as you can. And by having these user stories broken out into that actor action result, and you can link those uh, according to dependencies or interdependencies, uh, like in JIRA, for example, and you can organize them according to epics. It makes it easier to develop your ERD or a functional ERD from the get-go. To share a story, one time there was a uh, bunch of requirements that were turned into Agile requirements. So, so I'm, this is the warning story for, for business analysts who are moving into an Agile project and maybe they're getting a year's worth of requirements up front. And then the first thought is, hey, let me break this up into user stories. So the situation goes like this. There was uh, something like, I believe it was a thousand user stories, but it might, it might, I think it might have even been more. It was between, uh, it was over a thousand, maybe less than 4,000 user stories. And so then the, the, the ask was this, hey, Agile coaches, how do we now organize this into a backlog that we can start executing on? Um, the problem was is that, that you can see the problem. The problem is that exactly what you said at the beginning, we have a huge inventory now of information that you're, we're trying to comb through, and now we've got to take it step back and think big picture from the, all these details, which is actually harder. Yeah. If you start at um, high-level user stories or back up to the, um, the thing that generated those requirements, maybe roadmap items, and start there, then you can develop nice end-to-end -end user stories that are going to create some value as you finish each user story, rather than tr changing uh, detailed specifications into a, a bunch of backlog items. Right. Yeah, I think if you have a situation where someone has 4,000 requirements that they hand to you and say, hey, you know, 
turn this into an agile project. Uh-huh. I think you know, the first thing you have to do is uh, triage, you know, just like you would if you were getting flooded with a lot of defects. You got to go through and just triage each one of these things and maybe categorize them and do some rough prioritization and, and rough uh, t shirt sizing on them. Uh, and then focus on, once you've done that, you can focus on the, the low hanging fruit first and break those down into the uh, agile format instead of trying to do it all at once. It's easier to digest that way, I think. Yeah, let me channel that business analyst again, the new up-and-coming product owner. Let's say that was the situation. That was my situation. Let's say I, as the product owner, say, hey, you know, that sounds like a lot of work. How about I just do this as a the normal, traditional waterfall delivery, but then my next thing, I want to do it agile. What advice can you give me on how to set the stage so that my next project is going to be easier to launch into an agile operating model? So I think you want to try and transition. It depends on your organization. If you've got a big organization with a lot of projects and programs going on, I think you want to start one program at a time. Most companies, many companies have a lot going on. There's usually multiple programs and multiple projects under each program. So maybe start with one program. You may have another program that you want to do waterfall. Okay, that's already in flight. All right, that's fine. Let's see if we can find a program that we can start with from an Agile perspective. If I was to set the stage better for the Agile one, what would I do differently so that I don't get stuck with a bunch of requirements again? The first thing you want to do, look at your backlog or inventory. I mean, do you have one? And what does that look like? You know, it could be small, it could be huge. So I think that's uh, that's important. Uh, What's the size of that backlog? And you want to start there. Uh, start trying to do some kind of backlog grooming. Okay. Um, and of course, you know, agile transformation it, requirements is a part of it, but you have your teams that have to go through a transformation. You got to work with the client and reset expectations. There's a whole system, of course, as you know, that has to be in place to, to make all that happen. So requirements is just one part of it. What would but, I say uh, to the client uh, in this regard to set the stage for my next Agile project? Let's say in six months there's going to be a new project and I say, uh, hey, I really want to do this next project in the Agile way. Uh, so, David, what do I do to not get myself stuck with a whole pile of massive requirements that I don't need? You know, a lot of time in, in many scenarios that I've been in, it's the client who requests uh, an Agile transformation. And many of uh, the people I've worked with or the companies I've worked with they undertook this effort because their client was demanding it and oftentimes requiring it in an RFP or something like that. So I think the first step is to establish that relationship with the client and the expectations around what Agile is mm. uh, and how it works. I think that inquir- requires some training, mm. uh, training with the product owners and, and training with the client. Oh, nice. Uh, how, does that, how does the Agile process work? What are the general expectations? It's a very collaborative type of system. And so you want to make sure the client understands what part they play and how much time it's going to take from their perspective to work with you and provide that feedback, that iterative feedback that's so critical for it to be successful. Yeah, um, sometimes what uh, clients who are stakeholders in an Agile project, it takes some time for them to learn to trust the team that they'll be what they call day two. So day one, you'll get this, this amount of functionality, but day two, there'll be a day two and you'll get this other functionality that we didn't get in on day one. Because it's been spoken to me by stakeholders in a business recently that, you know, it took us a while to get get over that. We thought we had to have everything on day one, but because we're used to never getting a day two. People would tell us, oh yeah, we'll, we'll run that through day two, which will be maybe a, a 12 months later. Uh, but, but there wasn't a lot of trust or belief that that would actually happen. But when day two is really 
that the next release, I should say, rather than day two, when the next release is maybe a quarter away or weeks or months away, it's a whole different relationship. And then that that um, feeling of generating a whole bunch of requirements with the product owner will die down because they realize, well, you know, we just need to worry about what we need to worry about in the next few months or, or next quarter. We don't need to think about the whole year. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And the old waterfall method, you would have a, you know, an 18 month roadmap, sometimes two year roadmap, maybe even longer, but it's really not, uh, in an agile environment, you don't really do that, nor do you need to. Are you new to Agile or Scrum? Looking for a fun way to pick up the knowledge to become an Agile team? Go get the novel, Agile Noir. It's a dramatic novel about a project manager who needs to transform his teams to become Agile because his life depends on it. This book is available in the US on Amazon, in India on pathy.com, in China, it's available on my WeChat store. Links are in the show notes. Dr. Bishop has some meta-agility courses coming up. I teach a number of courses about meta-agility and some of the concepts that we talked about, how to transition from a waterfall BA to an agile product owner and, and agile metrics and and also obtaining organizational and executive buy-in on Agile transformation. So I have a number of classes on those topics. You can go to uh, agile-works, wrx.com, look at our training section and, and read about all of our current course offerings. We're also currently uh, setting up uh, uh, sessions all over the U.S. to offer, offer the Metagility course in various cities. Go to uh, metagility.technology. And there's a landing page there that to give you our current schedule. We've got sessions planned for Atlanta, Boston, and Denver this year. And we're going to be adding several more dates in the summer and in the fall. So that's not going to be all. Those are the ones that are scheduled so far. So if the year is 2020, when you're listening to this, on May 28th and 29th, Meta Agility will be in Denver. Each month later, there'll be another Meta-Agility conference in Atlanta, Austin, Washington, D.C., Salt Lake City, Boston, Raleigh, and Tampa. Go to metaagility.technology for the updated calendar. Open up your smartphone and tap on the link in the show notes. Next episode, we hear more from David Bishop. You talked about business value, judging that by a, a, a numbering system. And you mentioned that it could be done with uh, a planning poker as well. Uh, do you want to describe what that means, a planning poker business value session? 